Reports of unusual spider activity in Sheffield over the last three months. From the police, pest controllers, and to us here. Rare sightings, an increase in numbers. Spiders you don't normally see at this time of year. Something's wrong with the spider ecosystem in South Yorkshire. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark McManus. On this episode, I'm delighted to welcome critic and writer Sam Molesky back to discuss his Black Archive book on arachnids in the UK. Sam, welcome back to the podcast. Hi. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the book. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Fascinating read. And uh, for me, uncovered a lot of facets of the story that um, I hadn't really considered before. Uh, thank you very much. It's been very, very nice to um, to, to get it out, uh, especially since I worked on it for like quite quite a long time. And uh, considering the year that twenty twenty has been, uh, it's been pretty enjoyable to have like at least one good thing <laughs> happening. Uh, so like I, I can say I read I I wrote a book I wrote another book and. Like I did like this academic work and I saw it through and it's very it's very affirming when you just have like a finished product in your hand and you can see it with like it's one hundred and fifty footnotes and it's ten pages of bibliography and yeah, it it hits, you know, like the part of my brain that really likes to do huge spreadsheets for everything. So your previous book Sheffield Steel, the first volume, uh, you covered the whole of series 11. What made you choose arachnids in the UK to cover in greater detail like this? Well, um, the way I was sort of like uh, picked to do a book was that uh, I was in contact with uh, others' books for other reasons, uh, kind of uh, in talks to do something else with them, which is still happening, it's just not right now, it's going to happen in a couple of years. Um, and uh, Philippa Sahalad, who uh, is a brilliant writer, uh, but, and also uh, the guy in charge of the Black Archive range, uh, was reading my blog, uh, my blog series, Sheffield Steel, which I later adapted uh, into a book. Uh, There's a second one that I'm writing right now. But and he was looking for um, some writers to do work about Series 11, uh, because he wanted to have some in the Black Archive that were coming in the, the next year, so he wanted some uh, some about um, Jolly Whitaker, so this you know a bit of balance between the classic uh, the classic ones and the newer stuff. And so he asked me if I wanted to do one uh, on uh, on Chris Chibnall, uh, and he wanted one specifically on Chris Chibnall because there was uh, already another one being done on one of the guest episodes, uh, which was uh, on Kerblam uh, by Naomi Jacobs and Thomas Rodbo. Uh, I haven't read it yet. It's on my it's on my list. I'm like working through so it's because I don't just write for the Rangers or read it a lot because I really like it. But I haven't gotten to that one. But I've heard good things. Uh, and they've read other stuff that Naomi has done, and she's very talented. But yeah, he wanted one specifically on a Chris Chibnall episode. And sort of like at the point where we had this conversation, because um, it was just after um, Demons of Punjab had had, and I had written a thing on uh, the Chattering Conundrum, because I do so, you know, one week. This week. And. He really liked uh, this thing I did on Taranga because it's an episode that um, people seem to like a lot uh, or have a lot of things to say and I kind of like went and did like a really deep dive on it. Uh, I still I still am really proud of, of that blog post. I think it's I think it's one of my best and he really liked it and he wanted, and so yeah, I, I'm like telling it in a bit of a scattered way, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, so basically at this point it was sort of um, a choice between The Woman Fell to Earth, The Ghost Monument, uh, Arachnid the UK, or The Turing Conundrum. Uh, and of the fourth, I felt like I had the most to say on Arachnid the UK, really. Uh, I hesitated a bit with The Ghost Monument because I feel like I could have said some interesting stuff on that, uh, but I felt that like 
all of the compelling aspects of Ghost Monument are kind of fruited in a lot of um, the more general aspects and themes of the general era. That's something I write a lot on in, in on my blog and in, in the book that I've adapted from it. But, you know, all this imagery of sort of dead planets and uh, this idea of sort of things missing and characters kind of wandering the spaces. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big theme, and he comes back to it over and over again. And it's kind of interesting, but, like, I feel like, or at least what I... When I read the Black Archives, I felt often the best ones are the ones that kind of have like a very specific focus, and I felt that Arkansas in the UK was a lot more interesting to dissect, and I had a lot more knowledge uh, already about the, the, the kind of topics it was interested in. Because uh, I, 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 I'm like a bit of a, a movie nerd, especially when it comes to like old science fiction stuff. So giant spiders, giant insects. It's, it's kind of it's kind of in my general wheelhouse, and I had like a pretty good idea of what I wanted to say about that. Um, so it was so I, um, yeah, that's uh, that's how it happened, and uh, it was uh, it was an, it was an interesting experience. I learned a lot. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't easy to write, but um, but I'm glad. And how long does a book like this take to? To research and write. Well, uh, okay, so like, I'm not sure I could like give you like an absolute number because I feel like if I were to write another one, which I may or may not be doing, uh, it it would um, it would take a lot less time because I know what I'm doing now. Because <laughs> yeah. um, like I've done a lot of critical writing in the past, but it. Sort of like in more in um, in a blog format, where it's mm-hmm. like a not necessarily less like rigorous, whatever, but a lot a bit, bit more loose and a bit more of a I guess conversational tone, and I kind of gives me a bit like a freedom to go in my like own interpretations, ideas, whereas this is like very like very regulated academic writing, which I obviously have done a bit of it. Uh, I've been like kinking around the university system for a really long time now because I studied in France and then I moved to the UK and I started back my studies. So I've, I've written a fair bit of essays, but this is like a full-on like book. Um, so it was a bit of um, a daunting task because I was commissioned to write it. Yeah, while Series, series 11 was... Um, was um was um yeah starting to kick around so I think it must have been like November twenty eighteen something like that, and um, then for a huge chunk of twenty nineteen my work on it was to look at a blank page and panic, and <laughs> <laughs> um, which uh, you know I'm sure is relatable to to other writers, yeah, I sort of um. Kind of um, just like I was really looking for a good angle to start because I often find when it comes to writing that the beginnings are really difficult, and because I really wanted to kind of nail the the right sort of um, tone and angle for it, and it wasn't really working out, and I was getting really stressed about it because it was kind of a new thing for me. Um, I went to like kind of brainstorm with uh, my friend Will Shaw, who um, uh, is a is a very good writer and critic. He's all right. He wrote a black archive on uh, Richter Ketten. so we had kind of like a, a few like brainstorming sessions where I was like making some like tiny tweaks to his stuff, and he was telling me that my stuff was complete shit, which was the case. It was absolute shit, and he was right to say it. Um. But, yeah, like, after just sort of, like, slapping myself in the face very hard for, like, six months, I started, like, like really getting seriously into the, the writing process around, I think, June of, um, June of 2019, pretty much. Uh, I had done some research in the meantime. Just, like, didn't, like, just hang around doing nothing. But, um... Yeah, and it was, like, really... Beginning was the hardest part, and it took me a long time to get it right. I think it was just the first sort of chapter. Probably took me, like, a good two or three months, you know, on and off during the summer, so I was, like, 
they were like a like in posted during the vacation then come back to it and ended up with some yeah something a pretty workable draft of like the first chapter around I'd say mid September beginning of October and then I sort of finished writing um but like the rest of the book so pretty much like the last mm, 15 20,000 words um in like through October to the beginning of December uh I had like a wonderful time in December where I had to finish it before my exam deadlines hit which was uh, delightful <laughs> but uh I managed it and I sent it to um to my to my editor in the beginning of January and then it um took a, a bit of a bit longer than than usual because coronavirus happened and it was like very difficult and confusing for everyone to sort of like coordinate around that and um organize the schedule for the range and stuff like that it's it was a whole thing but uh basically I got sort of um like the complete uh corrected li- corrected draft and like a list of all the Modifications that was I think to do. Um, I want to say, uh, yeah, beginning of June this year, and I like the book was pretty much finished like by mid July, and I had like a second big phase writing phase between June and July of twenty twenty, where it was like you know, just a bouncing back where I would like rewrite a lot of stuff and add a lot of stuff because. In the meantime, series twelve had happened, and obviously you had to amend other things according to that. Um, be it only because of you know lots of um, stuff had changed, sort of like characters' dynamics and relationships, and you had to account for that. And obviously, you have like a clear idea of what Chris Chibnall wants to do and what he's interested in after two seasons. And and yeah and. and Send a second draft, then a third draft, then a fourth draft. Uh, I think we ended up at five drafts total. Uh, every time it's like a bit less that got changed, and and it was like it was it was much more much more enjoyable. Like the actual writing was like a very grindy part. Um, although uh, definitely some of the research was very very interesting and stimulating. Stimulating. And I feel like I learned a lot doing it, but uh, really, there's something like very, very pleasant about kind of seeing, like you're writing, get refined from this kind of rough first draft into like a very, very polished, final final version. And I'm I'm really glad about like the the finished product. I think it's like very polished, and very, like, very thoroughly proofread and very. Mm very like, well constructed and I'm very glad of um, of the, the help of uh, of the, the various editors that I got on it which were you know there's uh, three editors right now the Black Archive I mostly worked with some uh, Paul Simpson uh, but there's also uh, Phil Perserillard and obviously uh, I don't know if uh, Paul Driscoll also works in the range actually looked through it uh, I know Strat Douglas so the main charge of, of this books uh, had a look at it and suggested some things, and it got abandoned because of that. And yeah, uh, I'm mostly very sad that um, uh, 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 I had a very funny joke about Scarlett Johansson at some point and got cut. But <laughs> I understand why it got cut. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sad about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, because because I was discussing at some point um, a movie in which his stars when I was talking about. Like the sort of the history of the spiders in, in movies, and then with like a patient saying that despite her versatile acting skills, she wasn't playing one of the spiders, which, uh, yeah, I understand why it got cut, <laughs> but I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it's it, it it it's okay. I'll I'll add more jokes to Shuffle Steel Volume Two when that comes out. <laughs> yeah. I saw a little while ago you did a really interesting Twitter thread about the process of, of pitching and writing a black archive, um, which I'll um, I'll 
find that and put a link in the show notes. Um, I think it's it's really interesting insight into the process anyway. But if anyone's obviously also thinking about um, about doing one, then it's uh, it's an interesting uh, thing to read as well. Yeah, if you want to see it, it's on my uh, it's on my blog. I've linked it. I've made, I've made like a blog post that links back to the Twitter thread, and. Yeah, yeah, and if you want to to pitch to to Black Archive, I would like greatly encourage you to do so because uh, people at Obvious are like really nice, very cool, supportive. And if you're interested in sort of like critical writing, or if you've been doing that in sort of like the margins of fandom, it's a really cool opportunity to get your writing recognized, promoted like that. Uh, then, like cutting back on um, on the amount of books that really sing. Because uh, they uh, have been for a couple of years doing one per month. From next year onwards, it's going to be one every two months. Uh, which uh, I think, you know, because they want to be able to, to focus better. Personally, in a very selfish way, <laughs> I'm kind of glad for it. Because it means that I might be actually able to catch up. <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's a lot. that's a lot of stuff to read. Uh, but yeah, there's some like very, very interesting titles too coming coming up next year. Um, there's um, uh, James F. McGrath, I think is his name, who's doing uh, who's a, a Bible scholar, and who's doing one on uh, the Battle of Renskor of Colos, which I, I'm I'm very very exciting to see. Uh, Paul Driscoll, who I really like the work of, is doing one. Vincent the Doctor, uh, Phil Pasarlat is doing the the Haunting of Villa Odati. So, tons of uh, tons of good stuff, and they're taking pictures uh, right now. Well, maybe not like this month, but through throughout the next, I think six months or so. Like every other month, they open submissions for another decade of Doctor Who, and you can like look up the picture guidelines uh, on their website. Uh, they are now asking, in relation to you know the fact they're doing less books, but I think they want um, probably something that's a bit more like kind of. Um, polish and up to academic standards. They're asking for a um, pretty large uh, sample submission because they ask for like 8,000 words of um, of your black archive as like a submission thing. So that, that's that, that's kind of a lot. And but uh, if you if you have the if you have the opportunity to do it. Definitely, definitely would recommend it. Uh, I think it was very, very interesting, a very interesting thing to do, if a bit, if a bit intense. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking it, it's sort of like in the nineties. Um, you know, a lot of fans had the opportunity to be published through the Virgin New Adventures when uh, the they were bringing um, aboard a lot of new writers and, and giving them opportunities. And the, the Black Archive feels like the sort of modern day equivalent of that, doesn't it? Where um, uh, it's it's you know given uh, given fan writers the uh, the opportunity to uh, to to be published and uh, and and you know kind of given given help in that way as well. Yeah, it's um, I I think the pro- there's a kind of problem when you're a younger writer in in Doctor Who circles is that it's very hard to find avenues for for publication because uh, sort of the official channels that you had uh, which uh, I mean mostly big finish by that have been kind of very much locked at this point uh, they, they're doing the occasional you know, script competition there's, there's a Paul Sprague memorial every year that it's some uh, competitions around Bernie Summerfield but uh, it's you have like thousands of entries and it's one one place every time so it's kind of very it's a very slow drizzle of, uh, of, of, of fan writers that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they had, like, other channels before. Uh, for most of the 2000s, they were uh, publishing, you know, the short trip books, which they obviously kind of, like, moved into an audio range later on. But those, like, were, like, very efficient at kind of getting a lot of um, fan writers uh, opportunities to get published in an official context. Like I know, I was at Bitfinish Day last year, just talking to uh, to to a bunch of fans out there. Um, you know, not necessarily like professional writers or anything, but just people who have been in the fandom for like uh, a couple of decades and who just said, "Oh yeah, yeah I, I I published like a story in one of the Big Finish books. That was nice." And it's not something you you really get a a, a lot a lot of these days. Um, 
it's kind of very, very, very hard to kind of get onto the level of professionalism required to get kind of gigs, for instance, at Big Finish, because you have to be in a position uh, where you, you you can like prove you have serious writing credentials, uh, maybe having an agent or something like that, and. A lot of uh, young sort of fandom writers want to are interested in Big Finish precisely because it's something that would be an opportunity for them to kind of get their name out there and get more of a platform. So there's kind of a bit of a cross purpose here. And but I think that something that um, we're seeing a bit more of uh, recently is kind of the emergence of smaller, like independent publishers that are kind of getting into kind of the nooks and crannies of the, the Who licenses. Uh, obviously, others books uh, don't that. They do stuff with uh, Iris Wildtime because uh, they were like, co-funded by Paul Mars and have licenses for, for his characters. They're obviously publishing Faction Paradox, which I'm a, a huge, huge fan of. I read it with great devotion. I'm trying very, very hard to pitch something for it at some point because I really want to do it. But, um, and, uh, yeah, like, obviously you have, um, you've had, like, um, Candy Jar Press, uh, with, uh, Brigadier stuff. Uh, recently there's been, uh, Arc Beetle Press, which is, uh, like, the organism that publishes my Sheffield Steel books. So obviously I'm a bit partial here. But, mm-hmm. um, like, in a, in a couple of weeks now, they're, uh, releasing a book that was, uh, official license through Andy Lane, about uh, Christopher Kvege. So a bunch of short stories about you know, Christopher Kvege, the companions from the, from the 90s Doctor Who, who got like a few audio adventures. And uh, I, I mean, I, I'm like shamelessly playing it because I, 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 I'm, I'm in it, I wrote a story for it. But, uh, this is, yeah, but yeah, but this is it's like when you kind of sift through the thing, it's very interesting because you get like a lot of People who worked for the the VNAs and like in the Who Expanded Universe in the nineties, so Andy Lane wrote for it, Uh, Simon Bursher Jones who uh, wrote a bunch of Action Paradox stuff, and uh, also uh, the Death of Art or Ghost Devices for the Rangers at the time. The Taking of Planet Five was probably it's a best known one. Uh, Wrote some stuff for it, but you have also like a lot of like really new people. like I'm not counting myself among those because it's pretty rather pretentious, but like a lot of people I know who are like incredibly talented, uh, like Jared Power and Foreman, like wonderful writers that are in there, and I'm like very glad to see this kind of this kind of like spaces that are like being created and people are really trying to to develop new sort of new ways for for fan writers to interact, um, because like I feel that outside of that, really the option that you have is to just do charity anthologies or do, um, you know, fan audios or fan, fan content, fan fiction. And, I mean, I'm not saying that's not great, because I do like fiction, I do like fan audios. I've written some fan audios myself, and I've written for charity anthologies and stuff like that, but I feel especially with, um, with charity anthologies, my problem is that it almost feels like it's like your only way to write Doctor Who official content uh, as a younger writer, and you're almost mm-hmm. kind of expected to do it to kind of get a bit of a cr- of a cred into who writing milieu. Um, that's a shame because you're putting in work, and it kind of teaches you to put in work, but not expect any financial compensation for it. Like, obviously, doing something for charity, and you know, having the opportunity to put your writing to a good cause is great, but also I feel like especially younger writers should kind of get some sort of support and a financial support in, in, in the fandom. So if to, I kind of like digressed very largely, and I'm sorry, but to answer your question, yes, I'm very happy about like, the opportunities of this book that's been, that's been given. Uh, younger writers and fine writers and and more diverse writers because uh, like when you look uh, for instance at uh, some of the people who have written I don't it's less so in the Black Archive but 
in the yeah, especially in the field of fiction, some of the people who have written for their faction paradox books, it's very very diverse. Like it's there are books where you have like maybe ten authors and like two of those are cis people, which is which is very lovely to see. Like in Doctor Who, it's not a kind of diversity you you often find in those spaces, and it's very nice to see. Hmm. No, absolutely. That's it. So, um, it seemed like you touched on it before, but the most fun part of your research for this book would have been immersing yourself in monster movies. So the uh, the sort of the giant insect milieu, um, getting the kind of you know the the background of that. Was that well, how was that? Was that a lot of fun? No. I would, I would, I would actually, I don't know if I would say that because I actually didn't have to do all that much research on the, on the insect movie front because it's like, it likes a lot of stuff that I already knew and I kind of like, as soon as I pitched the book, I sort of had like a very good idea of, okay, I'm going to talk about that, that, that and that and I like want to bring that up because it's just, like, the, the books that I actually quote a lot in the chapter is um, this huge like, sort of like history of genre cinema book uh, that was written by this um, this Belgian journalist called Jean Pierre Petters, uh, who was like this guy who had like a, um, who was the editor at a science fiction magazine, very famous French science fiction magazine for like three decades. It was kind of a bit of a very niche celebrity. But like when I was a little kid, I once like saw this book in bookshop, and I asked my parents to buy it, and I read it cover to cover something like twenty, thirty times, and it kind of kickstarted my obsession for like horror cinema and that sort of stuff, and it has like a huge, very well documented chapter on insect, uh, on giant insect movies. So I was, I just like I had all of it like kind of knocking around my brain. It was, but it was fun, kind of getting the opportunity to, to put that in, in in context, and also draw sort of parallels with um, with Doctor Who, because Doctor Who has had a, a lot of giant insects throughout the throughout the history, throughout the history, and it's interesting to draw sort of like historical parallels, because for instance, um, one of the, the first sort of giant spiders movies that you get. Uh, is uh, Jack Arnold's Tarantula, which uh, I want to say is 1958. Don't quote me on that, I might be wrong. Uh, but the fun thing is that Jack Arnold, a few years after, if I'm not mistaken, directed The Incredible Shrinking Man, which is a direct inspiration for Planet of the Giants, so Hartnell serial, uh, which also has some, uh, which uh, has some, uh, so some pretty large insects, but because everyone is very small. So you kind of get those, um, those pretty fun parallels that are, are thrown, thrown that way. And obviously a big one is um, the Wirren in uh, the Ark in Space, and how that ties to to Alien, which is not exactly like an insect, but has like a lot, uses a lot of the same imagery, and it's kind of the eggs... And this idea of um, of infestation, stuff like that, because like really like the big thesis of that first chapter, and I guess it's a spoiler for the book, but you know whatever, <laughs> is that um, the whole trend of giant insect movies happened uh, after World War Two and happened after the nuclear bombs dr- dropped on on Japan, and it was very much uh, a kind of uh, embodiment, not just of nuclear fear, but of the idea that there might, that human civilization wasn't this kind of, like, irreplaceable thing, and that actually it could be very easy for another species uh, or another exterior force, and, of course, that plays into Cold War anxiety and the USSR, but for something else, for some other capital or other, to just replace us and topple our civilization. And that's a big part of what kind of made the, the insects, because the idea with the insects is that they're not just um, you know, big and frightening, 
but that they're also kind of very organized and the society that we can kind of understand and label, but we can't fully... That is fundamentally different and fundamentally other compared to, to ours. But yeah, but once again, I digress massively, and I'm sorry. So <laughs> that wasn't actually the part where... Uh, I, I the, the best part of the research. I think the best part of the research was when I actually had to look up into the whole musical aspect of Eric in the UK because it's an episode that where music and kind of the 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 culture of of music and of protest music especially is very important because you obviously it's titled after uh, Anarchy in the UK. Uh, but there's also a very important thing we have Stormzy playing as a climax and that's how the episode is kind of wrapped up and I knew that was obviously going to be a very important part of the episode and it ended up being like a huge chunk not only of the book but like most of the actual research I had to do well on that because I didn't know much about it like I mean I listened to grime and rap sometimes but I'm not, like, an expert or anything. Uh, so I had, like, to read a lot of stuff, and it was very very interesting, and I think really kind of... There's this real satisfaction where you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up with the research, and you kind of, like, discover some really interesting stuff and, like, discover new ideas about the episode when you're kind of digging through sort of pre-existing texts. And that really happened with, um, with the musical elements, and that was really, really fun. Because you have this this whole thing where... Like, I don't want you to get into the, the complexities too much, because I feel like it wouldn't be... <laughs> I wouldn't do a very good job of explaining them on a podcast, and just, just get the book. I, I explained yeah. way better <laughs> in the book. And there's there's quotations and all that. But the gist of it is where you have Ryan almost... Yeah, kind of almost throwing a a concert and engaging himself in the staging of a music that has a cultural reference to his identity as a young black man. And by taking that music, not just as a consumer, but an active actor in its its propagation and in kind of almost the ritual dimension of music, he kind of, um, yeah, he kind of enters a, 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 new, a, a, a new form of, um, he kind of uh, changes cultural identity and affirms cultural identity in a way that's really interesting and really compelling. And I think hits on a lot of stuff of the channel era has been doing very, very well when it comes to kind of centering black and generally, uh, you know, uh, black, Asian, and minority ethnic characters in the show. Not just, um, you know, not just having black or Asian leads because the show had already that. You know, you had, you had Bill uh, the season before, obviously. But at kind of making the science fiction aesthetics reflect... Um, black struggle and reflect mm-hmm. the racial identity of the characters a lot more. Um, it's something I actually touch a, a lot more because I I kind of like talk of it like only in relation with Eric in the UK specifically in that book but I'm actually actually written like a fair bit about it in Sheffield Steel Volume 2 because <laughs> so, I'm working on that on and off right now. So when that comes out, especially in relation to Can You Hear Me, which I think does some like really interesting stuff with that. You know, the whole imagery of like a black woman who's a sort of primeval goddess floating in a field of stars kind of plays very interestingly in the whole ideas of um Afrofuturism and yeah. It's um Yeah, so that, so that was that, that that was the stuff that I really, really enjoyed. Researching, uh, so the part that was the least enjoyable was the one where I was just trying to um, 
tactfully say that the episode didn't make much sense, which there's a few moments where you just have to, to acknowledge that, yeah, yeah okay, this, 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 no, this might not quite work. But you have to, you, you have to give it your best try to explain and then say that, no, it maybe doesn't make sense in a tactful way, which is actually quite hard to do. I, th- I think you did very well at, at doing it in a tactful way. Um, I, uh, um, I I know which bits you're talking about, and um, yeah, I thought they were uh, very deftly done. So. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think it, cause I don't think it's very fun to just like shit on a on a, on a piece of fiction you don't like. I mean, I there's mm. there's plenty of stuff I don't like, including Doctor Who. I have very strong tastes and distastes when it comes to Doctor Who. But I think it's always more kind of interesting to see sort of how it works at like a structural level and see what clicks, what, what doesn't clicks, how it's trying to convey its idea and what are its ideas. And, you know, at the end of the day, you like it, you don't like it. Well, it's fine. You don't need to like something or to dislike something to, to write interesting stuff about it. You just have to engage in good faith, I think. It's the most important. Absolutely. Um, and And... You don't need to look very far to um, to to find people that are, are just slamming stuff at Doctor Who stories on the internet. It's, it's like you say, it's far more interesting to to analyze it. And uh, uh, I think, it, like you say, any Doctor Who story is um, it's it can be fascinating. Just if it doesn't work, is 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 why it doesn't work. And and, and you know, looking at they say the structure like that. So uh, yeah, it's just I'm I'm not interested in in criticisms. It's just like basically writing an overarching story of the show, you know, like, in, in, whatever way you, you try to pull it, whether it is that, uh, I don't know, uh, Chris Chibnall has rescued the show after the Moffat era, which was terrible, or that Chris Chibnall is the worst showrunner since, <laughs> insert showrunner name, yeah. Uh, I just... Because I, I don't think that's very interesting, but only because it kind of ends up always being about just, like, it kind of reduces Doctor Who to a succession of white dudes that have mm-hmm. occupied the, you know, lead office, so to speak, of the show. And I don't think that's necessarily the most interesting way to look at it. I think just kind of tr- trying to, yeah, to engage with the text and kind of its contradictions, complexities... And just not necessarily like, I like I, I mean I'm not above it all. I I I was a teen like in twenty tens. I've been on Tumblr, like I've been in, I've been involved in fandom drama like during the Moffat years, <laughs> always. And it was it was it was very tiresome because it's always you know it's it's ch- it's church wars at the end of, at the end of the day you know it's like. Two neighboring churches and people are just like yeah. throwing Robin at each other, <laughs> and you never, you, you you never ever win. It's the thing that I've learned because I've written like a lot of stuff about kind of defending Stephen Moffat throughout the years, and uh, and honestly, it didn't change anyone's mind, <laughs> and it didn't no. change anything, <laughs> and honestly, it wasn't even that good because you're so engaged in sort of like defending your existing entrenched position that you just kind of that when people actually offer valid criticisms you just have to go yeah but it's just yeah, maybe, maybe maybe not uh, certainly like I'm, I'm not saying that I'm like done like a 180 on Stephen Moffat because I still really love Stephen Moffat he's my favorite showrunner and I really really love his writing but certainly I'm like m- much less interested in just writing and uh, and and should praise for him over and over and over again, which I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you want that, you can just hand on my Tumblr and <laughs> find some very embarrassing things, no doubt. No, I always think that it, it, a lot of it um, does come down to tribalism, doesn't it? Like that, like you say, uh, you know, Russell T Davis is my guy, or Stephen Moffat is my favorite, and and. Um, I always think there's there's you know the vast majority of people um, watching Doctor Who that don't even realise when the showrunner changes, uh, you know don't pay any attention to who's writing it, and then there's sort of the uh, 
the minority that are the fans that are <laughs> that are you know kind of really invested in that like who's the showrunner and who's writing them and who's directing them and that all that sort of is going on below the surface and the um the sort of main viewing public is is just watching it and just enjoying it <laughs> yeah definitely and i mean and some people who are kind of thinking into the conversation just do it in a very superficial way kind of miss like all the nuances because like there's always this thing that like <laughs> It's still, like, about Stephen Moffat. I don't know if you know about that. There's, like, this YouTuber who did, like, a 90-minute video about why uh, Sherlock is a very bad show. As, as it happens, I agree, I don't really like Sherlock all that much. But, in a 90-minute video, the guy never even mentioned the fact that Stephen Moffat is not the only showrunner. <laughs> Because, you know, it's, it's just co-written. There are two head writers that co-wrote the plot. But you, you'd think it would be important to mention at some point. Which is like, because you absolutely want to have, like, this one, like, figurehead of the show that, like, concentrates all the criticism, you just end up making huge, like, leaps to, to get there. And I actually think that's, like, I, I have, like, a fair bit of issues with Chinmol era but on, on, on other different things. But there's one thing that I really like is that he's like almost impossible to characterize as like like you know, like some big sort of like showrunner king, like god author. Because he's he's very discreet, doesn't give like much of much interviews, and his writing is kind of hard to sort of pin down in in a definite way. And some people would tell you this because this is writing is not very good, which I don't agree with. I think it's it's not like it's not like as utterly brilliant as RTD and Moffat could be, but I think he's a fine writer. But uh but yeah, but he, he does like very very different kind of weird things. It's hard to just offer one like a big narrative and I kind of like that and I feel that because of that it's given a lot uh, of space for other voices to step up and to offer new, new and different things, and uh, obviously it's it might be less compelling to some because in other ways a big kind of changes that the Chibnall era has done compared to the previous ones have been behind the camera have been in who gets hired to write who gets hired to direct who uh, gets hired to act, obviously. I mean, the first female doctor and the general like, diversity of the casting. But, and y- yes, it's, but for me, that's very important. It's a very different kind of ambition compared to the, the storytelling ambition that gives the Moffat era, which like, got very wild in terms of experimentation, especially towards the end. Uh, but it's still very important. I think there's a lot of you know, stuff that's happening around the show right now and it's changing a lot and I think that's why I'm like very interested in writing about Chris Channel whether it's in the more academic concept just kind of tracing uh, episode by episode when I do like weekly blogs when there's a new season coming out because you really do feel the show is like changing in a very deep way and it's kind of going through a bit of an identity crisis and being able to trace that and document it it's, I think, very valuable and very interesting. And I'm very, very curious about what's going to to happen to Doctor Who. Not, you know, worried, oh my God, what's going to happen to Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Wait, no, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm, I'm just curious because I don't know at this point. I don't think anyone knows. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of nice, actually. Because, I mean, Russell Davis and Stephen Moffat, who are, like, immensely talented writers, both, it's not a criticism of either of them. But they have, like, such a distinct identity as writer. And I think you kind of know in advance what uh, Russell Thierry's season or Stephen Moffat's season is going to look like. Like, I mean, not the details, obviously, as the character arcs, but in terms of, like, structures and scenes, and especially Stephen Moffat, who I, I deeply love, once again. It's not a criticism. But he did kind of write the same finale, like, four or five times. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's very good at writing the same finale over and over, but, you know... He he does he does have like a very clear pattern of tropes and, and if you've like picked up on it once you can like write it yourself. <laughs> it's very very clear. 
But yeah, I enjoy sort of like the leap into the unknown. So when when you're watching um, Series 12 earlier this year, um, from the point of view of, of being in the middle of writing your Black Archive, are you hoping that Jack Robertson reappears in Series 12 when you're watching it, or hoping that he doesn't? What's the, uh, what's the easiest for you? Yeah, I, uh, I had, like, information that I knew it wasn't going to be a problem. And that's, that's all, all I'll say. Cool. I, th- I thought your analysis of, um, of that character um, in, in her actings in the UK was really interesting because it's, it's obviously one of the, more, the most interesting characters in it and probably one of the biggest talking points since the episode came out. Um, but I think, I think there's sort of two things in the story that, that left me unsatisfied. Um, the first one, obviously, is not something you touch on in the book, but we never find out what happened to Yazzie's dad's parcel. <laughs> um, that had been delivered to the other house and uh, it, it always bothers me because I always think what if it was a book I'd, I would be absolutely devastated if <laughs> if I was waiting for that and it never arrived but yeah the the other thing is is obviously the character of Jack Robinson and um, the way uh, obviously has been much debated is the way that he strolls away at the end uh, apparently unpunished for for what he's done, and I thought really interesting thing that you you pick up on in the book, and obviously we're not going to talk about the content of the book too much, but the idea that in Doctor Who, Trump is inevitable, and and in a way that, uh, sort of Jack Robinson, it seems like he's he's going to be inevitable as well as 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 the next president. But what I think my frustration is that there is something they could actually do about Robertson. Um, he's right there. Yaz is there as a serving police officer. Um, you could just arrest him. Like you, you can't bring a handgun into the UK and start waving it around, even if it's in your own hotel. <laughs> you know, he says it's my hotel, my rules. Well, first off, I want you to know that I did want to address the bottle thing in the book, and it got cut for space. <laughs> oh no! Uh, it was, I, I was just like having as much as like an observation, but I thought it was really interesting. That sort of the thing. As, as like a big like thematic coherency in the season, I think that kind of points the Doctor through the whole stuff about Robertson and capitalism and giant spiders is an Amazon parcel, because that just that's also like a huge part of the plot of Kablam. And I thought that like a bit of symbolism was really interesting, but I was told it was a bit of a stretch, and it, it was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you, sometimes, you know, analysis is just you kind of... You, you know, like, the scene in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where there's a guy with a giant blackboard, and he's, like, you know, just, like, drawing lines everywhere and putting pictures on it, and just, like, looks inc- increasingly crazy. Yeah, sometimes a bit like that, and sometimes you need just like your editor to go, yeah, as soon as maybe tune that down a bit. Which yeah. <laughs> it's like, and yeah, yeah, yeah um, Robertson is, I mean, in my opinion, it is the best part of the episode. I really, really like the character and that performance, and I think Chris Nath did a r- really good job of it. Um, but there's a lot of kind of like weirdness in how how it's written and. I feel like there's some stuff I could have touched on a bit more. Uh, I feel like something kind of interesting in how, like Doctor Who's like very interested in that season at least to, to engage with American history because it comes right after Rosa, and. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know that is. And so you have like almost a bit of a distance, because, you have, actuality in history. That's obviously very close to the UK, with which he's also seen. It's kind of a bit of a distance, and there's kind of an awkwardness there, I guess. But uh, I think it also speaks to just how how Christian writes in all of ways, and it's got kind of a very idiosyncratic writing style, and there's some stuff in how Robertson is handled that, like. Now that I have like seen two seasons, I kind of get why the date that, but it's still really weird, and especially when it's pretty early on in the run. It's like the fourth episode of series eleven. Um, it's um, it, it feels really odd 
especially when you're coming off Series 10 and stuff like Oxygen, which is very, very brash about its, its anti-capitalist message. Um, yeah, I feel like there's this thing, really, especially in Series 11, it's a bit less, uh, less the case in Series 12, I think, but where... Because Chainlayer actually really likes tackling political topics and kind of engaging with ideas like that, but he does so in a like really strange way, where you almost have this um, this sense of kind of a, a thought exercise almost. Um, Rosa is kind of a big exception, and that is in my opinion largely because it was written by a black woman and. Is kind of like tackling history in, in, in a different way at this level. But um, yeah, when you look at stuff like Arkansas in the UK or like Kablam, I think it's actually, especially in Arkansas in the UK, a lot of nuance in how a lot of the historical and political elements play into it. Um, I talk about it in the book, there's a lot of stuff about sort of the industrial history of the UK that really run through the episode and informs it, and informs how the character of Robertson plays into it. And I actually, I wouldn't entirely be shocked if, like, Christian actually did some, like, actual research with that, because it's very, like, coherent and very well thought out. But at the same time, you almost have this, um, this feeling at the end of the episode that it's sort of, um, okay, it's time to write, to, to wrap up and to ignore that fun, hypothetical scenario that we've just imagine, and, and we can just, like, go home. Even though it does kind of impact the characters, I think, at an emotional level, because you get the feeling that part of what motivates uh, Yaz Graham and, uh, and Ryan to, to, to leave Earth is this feeling that um, there is this something, like, frustrating, uh, frustrating on us to them, that there's um, something just dangerous and kind of threatening to them on Earth that you feel, obviously, with, uh, with Robertson, that's up there in a big part, in big way, in, uh, in The Woman Who Fell to Earth with Tim Shaw. You kind of have this, um, this recurring motif of sort of like predatory capitalism and like literally predatory capitalism in the UK because you get people being engaged in by Jane Spiders. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, the characters kind of leave us almost as, like, a, a way to, to escape, to, to, to escape that, or to es- escape kind of their own sort of traumas and frustrations with life. Um, it's actually a case where having seen series 12 makes Yaz's sort of, uh, sort of side of things really click into place a lot more. Because when I had, like, Rijin's book, like, all the first draft, like, all the stuff that he has was just, why does she really want to, to travel with Doctor? Because, like, I don't really, like, get it. Like, she says she's the best person who there. But once you have, like, the context of Can You Hear Me, which probably should have been a lot earlier in the run, but whatever. But once you have the context of Can You Hear Me, you actually do, do get that. But, um... But yeah, so you have like this whole weird thing about like the writing kind of wants to get the characters in this emotional space of feeling frustrated and kind of traumatized with Earth. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily earn it because they could do things to make Earth better at their level and to stop sort of the threats that that they perceive as like being this dangerous. Which, to Christian Moore's credit, is something he actually addresses in in series 12, because you have, like, the whole... Still, can you hear me, actually? You have the whole stuff with uh, Ryan feeling worried that he, like, maybe have, has left his uh, his friends behind and left his friends down on Earth. So it's, And so you have this weird mix where it's kind of trying to be about trauma in this weird abstract way that doesn't really engage with, like, a concrete reality. It doesn't really name the thing it's about. And, yeah, it's... It's a bit of a mess, honestly. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of like spitballing, trying to 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 explain like how 
I see it and how I can like try to rationalize it. The truth is, it's a, it's a bit, it, it's a bit rough about around the ages. Doctor Who often is. I think it's coherent in, I think it's coherent in what it's trying to do in its and in its aesthetics, but you kind of have to do like to connect the dots a bit, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I'm trying awkwardly to do and I probably just have like railed on for a very long time about it and I apologise again but oh, no not at all no, it's, um, no I, I completely agree um, I think uh, yeah it's, it is it is interesting it does seem like there's a thread going through um, like with Orphan 55 as well like the uh, the the potential ultimate fate of the earth, um, which is something that particularly Ryan, it seems to be haunting him a little bit, doesn't it? Um, the sense that his responsibilities will, um, will, you know, maybe draw him back to earth ultimately, um, as, as the reason for him uh, to stop traveling. Uh, so you mentioned that you're currently writing a second volume of Sheffield steel as well. Uh, do you know when that will be uh, out? I am. Uh, I don't have like a set release date for it. Because uh, it's not finished yet, um, mm. like current goal is that anyway it's going to it's going to have like Revolution of Daleks uh, in its sort of special, so um, and I like endeavor to finish everything else by December ish and to just have that to add. So hopefully it should be pretty much ready in uh, in January and um, for release in. Um, I want to say January, February. It might be later on because COVID isn't going away, and um, mm-hmm. so my publisher at Beetle Press has to um, sort of see what's best in terms of schedule that to release a book. Even though maybe like holding it for a few months might be sort of better for uh, for their finances and for like coordinating promotion and stuff like that, but. Like, generally speaking, early next year, I'm going to say, like, winter slash spring 2021. Like, solid estimate. Uh, yeah, like, right now, I'm, I, I'm, once we say, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, like, pretty well with the revisions. I probably have done, like, maybe, like, half, like, two-thirds seems like a lot, like, yeah, like, maybe half of the stuff I actually want to do, uh, it's already, it's already, it's already longer than the first one, and I'm not nearly done with it, so it's, uh, it's going to, it's, it's going to be quite long, and, because I, because I have, like, a, a huge lot of things to say about, um, Series 12, uh, I mean, part of it's just that I have, like, a lot more practice, uh, in terms of writing and kind of critical, critical analysis mm-hmm. than I did when I was writing the stuff about Series 11, uh, this is also the fact that I think series twelve is just really really interesting. That there's tons of stuff to say. Um, I actually really like series twelve. Uh, I, it says like a couple episodes I'm not so huge on, uh, but like I actually do really enjoy most of the episodes and think there's a lot of get things to discuss and to get into. So I'm actually excited to to, to do that. And uh, and yeah yeah I've done like. Um, a few of uh, the bigger essays that I really wanted to, to revise that stuff on. Uh, I've talked a lot about uh, Future Judoon, which I, I, I actually did like some legitimate research for that one. I think it came out really well. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, I still have a few 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 more to revise and then plenty of, of bonus contents to add to, to add, yeah. Uh, I wanted to tackle like you know, a bit of um, of the expanded universe stuff, so you know, a few books. I I, I wrote, uh, I I wrote an essay on uh, there's a Ace and Thirteen novel at childhood's at childhood's end, uh, where, mm-hmm. uh, which is on Patreon right now actually. Uh, but I want to talk about um, that Star Hills books that came out. Maybe uh, maybe the Dev Redden one that uh, has just released. There's um, uh, a master anthology that's coming out uh, next month, which has some stuff with uh, mm-hmm. such a uh, oh the Target Storybook. I definitely want to talk about the Target Storybook, and uh, probably going to have to um, to talk about you know coverage and just like like maybe like dedicated chapter to just talk about sort of like uh, the Who in Lockdown stuff and 
how that went down because I I think it's it's pretty relevant uh, to kind of the ways the show is trying to engage the fandom and I feel like mm-hmm. the series twelve does a lot of stuff when it comes to kind of dialoguing the fandom and I, I do really want to talk about that because I think it's really interesting. Great, I'm really looking forward to to that when when it comes out next year. Thank you. And you've got a number of other projects as well. You um, turning your attention to the James Bond movies, I understand. Oh yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, yeah, because I've uh, I finally like lockdown has uh, at least had one benefit, which is that I'm like decided to kind of get like full on on, on Patreon because I, I I have been blogging for a very long time, but uh, always in kind of like a uh, you know a free free space. Whereas now I'm actually like getting some, well, not a lot, but a bit, bit of money money from it. So I'm, I'm, do, yeah. I, I'm like doing uh, much more uh, non-who um, sort of essays at the moment. Uh, beat only because I've been writing like who books pretty much non-stop for like a few good years now. And I do want a bit of a break from who non-fiction. So I'm writing, I'm writing a bit about like horror movies, that other thing... Um, that's not over, there's like a few parts still to do, but about uh, Russell T. Davis's uh, Cucumber and Banana shows, which I, I absolutely love and I think it's like brilliant television. Um, but also, yeah, I'm doing some podcasts um, that like go on Next Liberty on Patreon for like a week or so and then get available for the uh, release. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing one on, um, on uh, The Witcher uh, TV show that's, that's aired like last year. Uh, but like the, the the big one is the ones I'm doing with uh, with uh, my friends Kristen Kelly and uh, and Kid Power, and it's uh, it's called a Human Bondage. That's a pun in the title. And uh, it's about it's it's a podcast about James Bond movie by people who don't like James Bond movies. Is how I pitch it. Um, so basically, a, a bunch of uh, leftists and queer people just. Watching James Bond movie and then going, oh my god, the politics of it! It's, <laughs> oh my god, this is so racist. No, I mean we 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 don't just like complain for for two hours. We try to have like a a bit of a of a discussion about because it's very interesting. There's a lot to say about about Ian Fleming and his novels and a lot of weird things he did. And yeah, we're trying to get into a bit of sort of analysis about how those movies actually work and. Um, I actually recorded the last one on uh, on Thunderball, uh, like just a couple of days ago. Uh, the last one we did before that's so a Goldfinger. Uh, I, I would like if you, if if you had to listen to only one of those, I would like suggest you make it that one. Uh, it's the longest we did; it's like two hours and a half, and it's um, I feel like it's some of the best uh, content that I've partaken in. Uh, it it gets like really in deep. Uh, in the, in the movie in its themes and in how it's like made technically not at like short construction and themes, and also we talk a lot about its politics, especially its its uh, it's sexual politics and its treatment of women because oh my god, there's so much to say. It's it's a that has some very interesting ideas about about women uh, is is how how I put it. Uh, but I mean, you know, eventually we're going to, to to get to some of those who aren't completely sexist, which is like a tiny bit sexist. So, that, yeah. so, so I'm eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for that. I also just really like the Daniel Craig Bond, so you know, I'm, I won't always be grumpy about those movies. I actually kind of mm-hmm. liked Thunderball 2, which I feel like I shouldn't say because apparently everyone hates that one, but I don't know. It's so cheesy, I can't hate it. <laughs> yeah, either I, I did a blog a few years ago where I uh, watched them, the, all the Bond movies with my wife, who absolutely hates James Bond. <laughs> um, and we had a similar sort of journey from um, absolutely hating <laughs> all the early ones to really, really enjoying the Daniel Craig ones at the end as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a familiar sort of journey. But, uh, no, I really, uh, really look forward to, uh, to that podcast as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can uh, you can find um, you can find the the links. 
I want to say on my blog, I think I actually only had the first one linked, so I probably will need to fix that. But, um, yeah, if you follow me on uh, on Twitter and social media, I'll, I, I, I blog out the links pretty liberally and with read stuff, so you can, you can find them uh, from there. That's great. I will put them links in the show notes to those as well uh, to make them easy to find. We spoke a while ago about the uh, Clara, the Undiscovered Adventures. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, 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 obviously, uh, still, uh, still ongoing. It's a passion project for everyone involved. Like, the way mm-hmm. we've gone about it, because we had, like, a lot of really complicated things that kind of hit us at the same time. Uh, we had uh, one writer who dropped out because of incredibly weird reasons that I can't that I shouldn't explain in public but even if I did people wouldn't believe it <laughs> so I'm not going to get into that so that's kind of uh, we kind of we, we had to like get, get someone else to do a thing and then you had coronavirus and like everyone's kind of like got a lot of stuff on their plate so the way it's like it's still progressing uh, mm-hmm. at its own pace and the thing is we're not going to like announce any more like release date or anything. We're just going to keep to keep working on it, and when <laughs> it'll be done, it'll be done. Because at this point, you know, considering the amount fan project, especially in a in a context with a lot of like first time writers and stuff like that, a lot can go wrong, <laughs> and uh, a lot has gone wrong. <laughs> but uh, but you know I'm still very uh, like looking back on the stuff that has been done. I think it's a uh, very good stories, and I'm very proud of everyone who's been involved in this and of all the stories that have that have been written. Great, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, another one that I'm uh, I'm looking forward to. That's great. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, well, thank I you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed the book, and uh, it's, been, it's been great discussing it with you. And um, I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can order it. It's, uh, it's a fantastic read, and um, everybody should buy it. Oh, thank you very much. High praise. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, say, would, would, wouldn't say that. You know, there's a, there's a pandemic. Think about your own finances first. But, you know, if, <laughs> if, 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 if you want to give me money, that will be very appreciated, and I will love you forever. <laughs> That's it. It's, uh, it would be a great Christmas present for, for a Doctor Who fan. It would. Well, it, so it, it that, that is true. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank and, you. And um, we'll hopefully speak again soon. Uh, I hope so. It's always lovely to be here. Thank you.